You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahraven.com. Welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, a range with me, Arthur Parkinson, and my good friend, Sarah Raven. This is a sort of everything we can think of to tell you of how to create a healthy place to grow seedlings and how we sow our seeds to ensure that your garden is full of beautiful annuals, which are going to give you tons of flowers all through the year, because a lot of the time, the flowers that myself and Sarah love are ones that we've grown from seed. We do have perennials and quite often we'll buy in perennials as growing plants, but to really have a full on cutting garden and also beautiful pots full of the most beautiful flowers that you see in catalogues and in magazines, you really do need to sow a few seeds yourself. So in this episode, we're really going to try and tell you the basics of how you can ensure that you create a really lovely environment to sow your seeds and how to grow them healthily and making it easy as well. So not really complicated. We're going to go through the routine of how myself and Sarah sow our seeds for maximum good, healthy young plants. Very good. And I look forward to that. But typical you, Arthur, you've mentioned annuals for cutting and you've mentioned annuals for pots, but you failed to mention annuals for food. Um, So the edibles also can be included in this category. So, you know, it's also whether you're growing tomatoes or salad or herbs or whatever. And I totally agree with Arthur that it's really lovely to grow at least one thing from seed because it's so satisfying. And we'll, we'll perhaps talk more about that. But I think the other thing to bear in mind is it's incredibly sustainable. And it's one of the things that should be and is certainly one of my New Year's resolutions is to sort of question the sustainability of, of what I'm doing on a kind of daily basis. And I would say rather than perhaps going to a garden center to buy everything or buying at mail order or whatever, actually, if you grow it yourself from seed, there can't be anything more sustainable than that really, because it hasn't gone anywhere and it's literally comes into life in your garden. It's planted in your garden. It lives in your garden. It flowers in your garden. You pick flowers from it or leaves from it to eat from your garden And there you are. It's life enhancing, but it's also incredibly sustainable. Arthur, why don't you start with talking about the simplest way of growing seed? Well, I do love a seed tray, but what I've learned is you really don't need to be growing hundreds or even 50 of your chosen varieties. Really, at the most, even if you've got a large plot to fill, I always do the rule of a baker's dozen. Because from a space point of view, unless you've got gardeners and the massive great greenhouse, or maybe you haven't got, you know, a full-time or part-time job to to roll into your gardening habits, you just don't have time to mm. to nurture huge quantities of seed. You don't make your garden become a nursery. Make it pleasurable and nurture every seed properly. So I always, always count out the number of seed where I can. And most of the things, to be honest, that I find pleasure in sowing are from seeds that I can physically see and handle. So I love cosmos, I love all the sunflowers, Mm. I love tophonia, basically anything that I can get a little treezer and count out my 13 little seeds, Mm. I tend to grow myself from seed. But then anything else, because I've got a small space, I, I see no harm in ordering in a few things as growing plug plants. So that's my number one rule. Don't think I've got to grow everything myself, make it a little bit more easy for you. 
I mean, the, the nice thing now is with the plug plant situation, you can order them in much smaller numbers than you used to be able to. I remember when I first started my my gardening training, you could only really buy plug plants in multiples of 100. Now nurseries have cottoned on that we're all wanting to grow these things ourselves at home. So you can buy them in tiny quantities. Mm. So I always make it easy because I've not got massive room. And also my other thing is so with the season. So particularly when it comes to the summer display, the half hard annuals, they grow really fast. And I will mention it edible here, basil. Um, you should always sow things like basil as well as zinnias and cosmos and sunflowers when you can start to go into the garden with a T-shirt on. That's the rule that I've learned from Sarah, something about the first time you can go into the garden, pick a salad and eat a salad in the evening. That's when nature is telling you that the climate has become summer and therefore all your summer seeds can be sown. So my main sowing period is from the middle of April, right the way now, actually, until the second week of June. And I start off with things that might take a little bit of time to get going. So antirhinums, for example, to be honest, they want to be sown in March, but you can sow them later. But anything that takes more than, you know, three weeks to germinate, I sow from the middle of April. But then really fast things like cosmos, which germinate within a long weekend sometimes, Mm. you can sow them on the first week of May, no problem. Mm. And they honestly will catch up from anything that's been sown in March because the weather is more accommodating for them. And that means when you've just got a windowsill situation, you can get them off the windowsill outside by the doorstep. And that's the best thing for any seedling because the light is all around it. So it's not going towards the windowsill glass pane, which causes elongation. So a leaning Mm. stem, which is stretching to that light and becoming weaker and more leggy. And that creates useless seedlings. So if you sow later, you can get them out onto the doorstep quicker. To be honest, they still need to go into the protection of a cold frame because you might have a windy May day. And it's not the cold that necessarily will kill a seedling, it's the wind. Yeah, The wind will really knacker your little seedlings up. So a cold frame, absolutely essential. Make space for one. You know, even me who's got a small garden, I have got a cold frame dedicated space right by the door. And it's in constant use for seedlings all through the year because you need that protection from the, the wind. But the cold is your friend, to be honest, unless it becomes freezing. The cold stops things becoming leggy and light all around a seedling will make it feel like it's outside straight away. So you'll get lovely, healthy green growth. Air circulation will stop any mould. So that's that's my biggest tip for beginners new to seed sowing. I know it's really hard to resist sowing a lot of things during February, but most things can be sown a lot later, unless it's things like the the half-hardy climbers like Cabea, they need to be sown quite early on in, in, in January time. But the seed catalogues are quite good now. They do give you better timings than they used to. It used to be the case that everything, so in March, so in March, so in March. Mm. Um, I think people are getting the fact that most people are growing on windowsills now. Mm. Uh, so I, I've got very little to add to that, actually, but um, just one or two tips that I always think of. And I, I think of seed like gold dust. And if you think of it like gold dust, it makes you really stingy with it. And that's exactly what you said about the baker's dozen. Mm -hmm. Just because you've got a whole pack of seed, it doesn't mean that you can just willy-nilly pour it from the side, the sort of crease in the side of the pack and just chuck the whole lot in. And if you're a beginner, what people I find tend to think is, I'm a beginner, I'm not going to succeed with this or I might not. And the more I sow, the more likely I am to succeed. And I would just say that is the reverse is the case. So if you're a beginner, 
literally pour them out onto a white surface, like maybe a, a white saucer or even, you know, just a, a white formica table or whatever, and then just individually place your seed so that you can see them. And then, and only then, push them in or just lightly cover them with a dusting of compost. And so even with something like calendula, which is quite a big seed, I'll sow every single one, but spacing them almost an inch apart. And then I cover them when I've done all of them. Because otherwise, if the phone rings, you forget. If you've um, sort of tamped them in already and the compost has closed over their head, you forget where you've got to in the seed tray. And then what I find is you can leave pricking out a good sort of 10 days after than if you've crammed them all mm. in because they can yeah. grow into tiny mini plants after they've germinated. And then I find with pricking out the thing, which pricking out for those of you beginners is just moving that little baby, baby nascent seedling plant into its own individual pot so it can grow on and and put on growth without competing with its its brotherly neighbor. And I find pricking out I use literally a pudding spoon and I just get the pudding spoon into the seed tray and I just scoop it out and then I plop it into a, another mini pot. And the key thing is you should only ever touch the leaves very lightly and the roots, but never the stem because the mm. stem is so delicate. If you touch the stem, it'll break, but actually they're surprisingly robust and you can then move them. And what you're doing with sowing from seed is your, I think of it literally like you've got your little child and it's in kindergarten, then it goes into nursery, then it goes into the first year of primary school, on and on, then it goes into secondary school and then it goes to university. And that is kind of how you need to think about it. If you, you just move the things on into different sizes, so you sew it into a seed tray, then you prick it out into a, a sort of little nine centimeter pot you may, with something like cabaya, need to pot it on again if you've sown it early. Or as Arthur said, if you leave sowing late, that can actually just go straight out to the garden. So it goes straight from kindergarten to university or even into life. <laughs> but thinking of these in phases. And so on the edibles, I actually sow tomatoes in February. And I would sow those into a seed tray, but I would prick them out into a nine centimeter. And then they need to be put into a one or two liter pot and then they can go into the greenhouse or perhaps straight into the garden. But again, it really, those stages seem to really make a difference with tomatoes. You can't do them straight from the seed tray into the greenhouse. They struggle. So they need that feeling of restriction and root mm. restriction to push them into growing. And it's sort of interesting, but it's so tempting to sort of skip the stages. But actually, I wouldn't recommend that. No. Are there other systems that you use a lot, Arthur? I do love root trainers, but we, we cover that quite often whenever we talk about sweet peas. Yeah. But they're very good for seeds that don't like to be disturbed. And mm. I think it's really important to know, just have a basic grasp on certain seeds will thrive on having root disturbance and other seeds will sulk. The main thing that some of you may be really excited to grow for summer are zinnias. And mm. zinnias really will sulk if they are pricked out like they like you would prick out a cosmos. Mm. A cosmos will actually thrive quite often on being pricked out and feeling like it's been potted up. Yeah. A zinnia, on the other hand, if pricked out and removed from its little root run that is formed, will really feel confused and not thrive. 
So with a seed that hates root disturbance, you have to grow them in cells. And what we use are something called jiffy pellets, Mm. which basically are a peat-free coir dried out cookie. You get them, they look like little cookies and they come in a in basically a seed tray which is divided up in holes which each little cookie sits in yeah and what you do to activate these is you would fill your bath up in my case by about an inch of water Mm. or your wheelbarrow leave the whole tray in the little inch of water for about half an hour come back to it and you'll find each little jiffy is plumped up into this lovely chocolate muffin and what that basically is is a little cell into which you can individually sow one seed into each cell not two seeds, because obviously you don't want to be pricking out from those cells. But a zinnia seed will then happily grow a lovely root run. And then you can either, if you've sown them early, you could just put that whole jiffy pellet into a into a one litre pot for it to continue to grow. Or if you've sown your zinnias quite late, as I've said in May, that jiffy pellet will then have to be able to go straight into the garden. The only thing you must do is take away the little tea bag like fabric around the jiffy pellets because what we find is the roots struggle to push through that. But you can compost a little tea bag like fabric. I've seen a lot of people have started to use these little pot makers. You can mm. make your own pots out of newspaper. Yeah. And you can also buy little uh, recycled cardboard pots. And the whole thing again can be planted out in the garden. It rots away and the roots just go, oh, lovely, I'm in the ground. So you're not disturbing roots of things that hate root disturbance. I can't think of other things that don't like root disturbance, Sarah. Sweet peas don't, but that's why you'd sow sweet peas into a root trainer. Basil. Good basil old basil. doesn't like it. So yeah, your basil, you you would sow in a jiffy pellet, would you? Mm, I would. And nigellas and poppies, famously mm, difficult. Yes. And I find they, I normally succeed with those. Uh, whereas, mm. funny enough, California poppies, the Schultzes don't mind being pricked out in my experience. Uh. And I remember being in America talking about this sort of modular systems and a lot of the nurseries there, particularly commercial nurseries, have their own blockers. And so Mm. they make their own seed medium. uh, And we should actually talk about that of of, of what we've experimented with. And they press down this sort of metal thing that has either six or nine or 12 um, sort of cutters and it cuts the moist compost into a block. So again, incredibly sustainable because uh, you just put them into a tray and then block it and then put your seed into those. I have experimented with those and found them a bit of a fiddle and that the compost that I had made up or the planting medium I'd made up just tended to crumble and not stay in its block. But I really Mm. want to go on doing more trialing with that this year in 2022. And uh, actually that takes me on to one of the main trials that we're doing here, which is the planting medium that we use for sowing seeds. And we have found increasingly that the peat-free composts that we're using here have been very hit and miss. And we've been really disappointed with really quite a lot of very well-known and good reputation peat-free composts. And we found that some things, you know, some really straightforward things like borage, for instance, and amaranth have simply not germinated in some of them. And, and we just haven't been able to work it out. And it's been very frustrating because you sort of keep thinking they're going to come. And then by the time you sort of decide they're not going to come, a month has passed and you've missed the window. So we're actually going to do a big trial this year, mixing a loam with leaf mold and some organic farmyard manure that we have here from the cows, and some different either grit, horticultural grit, or washed in land shop sand, or perhaps vermiculite. And we're going to do a mix 
of lots of these uh, different proportions of lots of these different ingredients. And so yeah. we'll definitely do a podcast on our findings of that later on next spring so that um, we can give you what we found has been a good mix. But the sort of absolute standard, I think a lot of people would recommend using sort of about 50% loam of some description, 40 to 50. Then the next important ingredient would be the leaf mold, which is really good for drainage and water retention. Better than coir, it turns out, I think. And then some richness from the farm manure, so perhaps 10% and then maybe 10% either grit or vermiculite. But anyway, as I say, we don't know yet, and we'll be reporting back as to what we find to be the best seed compost. The other thing, because I'm more of an edible freak than you, that I just wanted to add before perhaps we should talk about direct sowing and why we don't do it so much, is sowing into guttering. So into not the dam pipes of gutters, but the horizontal gutters that you get under a roof uh, line and you can get them from a builder's merchant and wicks actually have gray ones which are flat bottomed but I actually all ours are black and they're ram bottomed and they all work brilliantly and if I've got anything that I want to sow in quite large quantities for instance salad leaves flat leaf parsley uh, any of the lettuces and lettuces don't like root disturbance and this is a system that suits plants brilliantly that don't like root disturbance. So I sow them individually so that I can see each individual seed. I also do this with beetroot. I also do it with uh, pea tips. But with pea tips and beetroot, I would sow a little clump of seed in stations all the way down the gutter. And just like I said with sowing into seed trays, I never cover or push in any seed until I've finished the whole lot of sowing. So all the way down the gutter, I will place the seed, and then all the way down the gutter, I will either poke in with my finger or I'll cover with a light dusting of compost, because again, I then know exactly where I am. And the key thing is being stingy with your seed, so don't over-sow. And then you can get your hand between plant one and plant two and push it out of the mouth of the gutter straight into the garden once it's about an inch by an inch, so a decent size. Then I move on to plant two. And in the case of lettuce, I plant most varieties 10 inches apart. So I then push out plant two 10 inches away from the last one. Then I pull the gutter back a bit more and push out plant three 10 inches apart from the last and so on um, without being too obvious. And I find guttering for the vegetable garden completely invaluable. And as soon as I've got something sowed, I then take it back into the polytunnel and I sow something else. So it also is a really good mind uh, jogger for successional sowing because it means that there's then something germinating and ready to go out in case anything out there has bolted and run to flower or seed. And so it gets a really nice way of just having brilliant succession of plants all the way through the growing season. Do you want to chat about direct sowing before we finish, Arthur? Well, I would, but I don't really direct so much no, at all. No. I, I do try and let things self-seed. It's hard when you've got a garden of chickens, which will be pecking around the pathways that they're allowed onto, uh, eating up any little seedling that pops its head up. So I'd probably get more self-seeding if I didn't have the hens. Yeah. But I think what I might talk about is just watering your seeds. Yes. Yeah. okay. That was a big part of my, my garden training that I do find useful now because overwatering seeds causes rotting and... Also, once they've germinated, if they're too wet, they will damp off. 
So what I do when I've sown a, a tray of a little mini tray of seeds, I just like the jiffy pellets. I'll fill my sink up inch of water, mm-hmm. and I will just allow the seed tray from the base to absorb the water. And I do mm-hmm. actually use vermiculite quite often, just because if you sprinkle vermiculite on top of your seeds. As soon as the water hits it, it ch- changes a different colour. Mm. So for beginners who maybe, are, you know, really want a signal that the seed tray has properly absorbed the water, vermiculite will be helpful. But obviously, vermiculite you wouldn't use for things that need light to germinate. So a lot of the panicums, the tiny grass grass seeds like sparkling fountain, that really needs light to germinate, as does any of the nicotianas. So do look at your seed packets. Normally a seed packet will say that this seed needs light to germinate, so please don't cover it. But anything that can be covered, you can cover your seeds with vermiculite instead of compost. And so your seed tray is sat in the the basin of the sink. I then lift it, it'll feel really heavy. So I'll just put it on a little angle on the drainage board to help the seed tray properly drain. And then it will go on to, in my case, the windowsill or maybe your greenhouse. And I really would recommend that you treat yourself to some capillary matting. Yeah. Because it really does hold the moisture and it will reduce the amount of water. And as soon as the seedling roots come through the seed trays or their pots, they can drink up from it. So if you're away at the weekend or away from home a little bit, capillary matting will really help to save a lot of your seedlings from drying out. Yeah, very, very good. Final thing from me, I do think a heated propagator bench or just a heated mat to go on a bench. So we use a really basic system here because we've built all our own propagator tables. And, you know, uh, this is for anyone who's got a greenhouse or a shed with a skylight above it. You can just put one of these heated propagator uh, mats or heated soil cables, basically. And what that does is it just gives uh, warmth at the roots And it's much better than heating the tops because that will draw things out as they germinate and you get what's called etiolation or these whippy things that Arthur was talking about. And so just by keeping the roots warm rather than the tops, you get good chunky root formation rather than whippy sort of wimpy things. And I always think when you're growing things from seed, you're looking for creating rugby players, sort of stocky square chaps rather than whippy athletes, sort of long, thin things. And that will give you a better productive plant, whether it's a cut flower or a vegetable, whether it's a tomato or a cosmos. And that's it, really, in terms of sowing. I mean, we do, like Arthur, very little direct sowing here because our soil is so heavy. And we just find that we don't know whether we've got a good germination rate until it's almost too late. And so we get like three seedlings at the start of a row, and then a big gap of about a metre or a yard or whatever, and then three or four that come, you know, a bit further down the row, and then more gaps. And so we actually use gutters, almost equivalent to direct sowing, and we find it's much easier to manipulate, and you can bring them inside if it's really cold, whereas outside um, you're much more vulnerable to the elements. But if you've got cracking soil, direct sowing is fine, and as with everything with me, I try and make it easy to remember, and I think of them as the five T's, So if you are going to direct sow, the first T is timing. Don't sow too early. So just like Arthur said, you know, leave it till the soil is warm. And if the weeds are germinating, you can start direct sowing if they're annuals, because if nature's doing it, you do it too. So the first T is timing. The second is tilth. 
So you want a nice crumbly apple crumble topping because seeds will find it easier to make their way into the light in a fine tilth. The third tea is thinning. So once the seeds have germinated, you go back in and you basically thin out, leaving one seed, depending on what it says on the packet. But I tend to go back in and thin to leaving a seedling every two inches or so. The fourth tea is transplanting. So I'll then get a trowel and I will transplant everything again to the everything that comes between the final thinning distance. So in the case of a cosmos, it's actually 14 inches. So I'll transplant all the little seedlings that have come up in between plant one and plant two and make another whole row from that. And the fifth tea is tying in. So don't forget with almost all productive plants, you're going to do some sort of staking. And we actually tend to do them at the seedling stage. So it's timing, tilth, thinning, transplanting and tying in. And so those for me are the key sort of success tips for direct sowing. Thank you, Arthur. I think that's pretty much chapter and verse of of what I've learned over the last 25 years of different sewing techniques. And really, all Arthur and I know about it and that I've learned certainly over the last 25 years. Arthur was three or four 25 years ago, so maybe not quite so long for him. But next week, it's going to be Arthur actually talking about the other great passion in his life apart from gardening, which is hens. And he's talking to a friend of his from Feather and Egg. So we will see you all there and I'll be listening then. You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahoven.com.